Romans chapter number 5 this morning. Romans chapter number 5. We'll be looking at verses 18 down through verse number 21. Uh, before we jump into the message as you're turning there, I do want to say uh, a moment ago I mentioned this legislation that is coming into the school systems and I just want to, to say, uh, to be clear, uh, first of all, I want to be clear that I am not angry or upset with those people uh, or mad at those people who are confused about this thing of their gender. Instead, I am broken for them. The Bible says they are as sheep uh, having no shepherd. They are the blind being led by the blind. And so before I say my next statement, I want to say that I'm not mad at them. I do not hate them. Uh, my heart is broken for them that they have allowed the devil to so infiltrate their homes and their minds and their learning abilities that they are confused about the very nature of who they are. My heart is broken. But I also want to say that this movement is wicked and ungodly. This movement of saying that you can determine what you are, whether you are a male or a female, is wicked and ungodly. And we need to be careful. The devil is sly in how he brings us along in accepting what he wants us to accept. And I'll illustrate how he does this. Let's say that I was a pillow salesman. I sell pillows for you to sleep on at night. This is what I do. And I bring in my pillow and I tell you about my pillow and I tell you how great this pillow is and how comfortable it is and how you'll never wake up with a stiff neck and you'll not even wake up through the night that you'll sleep more soundly than you've ever slept before and I tell you everything my pillow's made out of and all the components that's in my pillow uh, and I mean, you believe that this pillow's got to be the greatest thing in the world. And then I say, and you can have one today for $1,700. And you'd nearly fall out of your seat. $1,700 for a pillow? Pastor John, come on, it might be great, but it's not $1,700 great. And I'd tell you again how great it was and everything, and you're like, yeah, I mean, but not $1,700. And then I'll say, but today, for you, Marlbrook Baptist attendees, there is a special deal. Today and today only, if you sign up right now, I will give you two pillows for $700. And you're like, wow, that's only $350 a piece. I mean, they were $1,700, so this is two for, that's $350 a piece, honey, me and you'll sleep good. And you write a check and you just paid $700 for a piece of cotton. <laughs> but you know why you thought $700 for two was a good deal? Because it wasn't 1700 And so all of a sudden, 700 don't sound so bad when in reality, if you pay $300 a piece for your pillow, just don't tell me. In reality, $350 for a pillow is still very ridiculous. But you bought it because it wasn't 1700 Here's what the devil does. The devil pushes the line way up here. He's constantly pushing the line way up here. We get focused on fighting up here, and all of a sudden we begin to say that these other things aren't so bad after all. 
I remember when I was a boy in high school, uh, if another boy made a joke uh, about me uh, being gay, he was going to get his nose bloodied. You didn't make that joke. We wasn't going there. We wasn't talking about it. And now Christian young people will joke about being gay because at least they're not transgender. Let me just say, be careful how the devil sells you on the wickedness that he is promoting in this world. And don't buy into this nonsense that they try to promote. Well, we do need to be, you know, we do need to treat everybody equally and we do need to be kind. I agree, yes. We do need to be kind. We do need to be fair. I agree with that completely. But we do not need to violate the Word of God and we need to mark wickedness for wickedness. And so, there you go, sermon number one. Amen. We'll return to the book of Romans now. Many times I try not to just, you know, jump on every hobby horse that's going through, and I try to stay just faithful to the Word of God. But I believe every now and again it doesn't hurt to just state where I stand. Just in case anyone's confused, this is where we stand. We stand on the truth of the Word of God. This morning we're in Romans chapter number 5, and we'll be looking at verse 18 down through verse number 21. Last week we began looking at the series that I've entitled From Creation to Calvary. And we began looking at the thought, and we began looking at how God created man, and God created man upright, and God created man uh, uh, with, uh, uh, in a perfect environment, but it did not take long uh, before man violated the law of God. And when man violated the law of God, man created a problem, and that problem was sin. It didn't take long before man had disrupted everything perfect that God had created because of man's choice to disobey God in the pursuit of his own self-gratification, his sin, his violation of God's law entered into the world. And when it entered into the world, it brought with it uh, physical death. It brought with it eternal death. Condemnation was passed upon all men because of this sin that man had brought into the world. In, In addition to this corruption that now dominated the earth, man's status was changed. Mankind, which had been the crown of creation, was now condemned. What had started as abundant life was now destined for death and eternal punishment. Man was thrust out of his perfect environment and separated from his relationship with God. Because of sin, man found himself in a hopeless and a helpless situation. Here was man who a few days ago had everything. Here was a man who everything was perfect. He was in a perfect environment. He was going to live forever. He chose to violate the law of God and now he finds himself separated from God, thrust out of the garden, no longer in a relationship with God. He is in a hopeless and a helpless situation. Man has messed up what God created. Man was at the mercy of a just and holy God. Man was guilty. And there was nothing he could do to reverse his failure or restore his relationship with God. At this point, the future 
for mankind was bleak. The decision to reject the Creator had left him in a state of chaos, turmoil, and pain. At this point, man needed mercy. And let me say, from that day uh, until this day, uh, every person that rejects the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is in need of mercy. Adam had violated the law of God. Eve had taken of the fruit. They had violated the principle that God had set. Uh, and because of it, uh, they were now separated from God. There was absolutely nothing they could do to fix this separation. Uh, they were at the mercy of a just and holy God. Uh, and only God could determine uh, the outcome of mankind. It was up to God what was going to happen with mankind. Mankind was in need of mercy. He was in need of the Creator to bestow upon him something that he did not deserve. If he got what he deserved, if he got what was coming to him, mankind as a, as a species was over with. Mankind as the crown of God's creation was finished. Mankind had no other recourse except to burn for eternity because he had violated the law of God. He was at the mercy of God and he needed if he was going to survive for God to show him mercy. And thus every person who enters this world stands in need of the mercy of God. They stand in need of the mercy of God both because of the condemnation that entered the world at Adam's sin. But they also stand in need of the mercy of God because of their own choice to disobey the law of God. But this morning, last week we looked at the problem. This morning I'm here to tell you that God has extended that mercy. I'm here to tell you this morning, last week we looked at the sin. Last week we looked at the situation man was in. Last week we looked at our helplessness. But this morning I am here to tell you that God has extended that mercy. God has given us what it is that we need. This morning I want to take a few minutes and consider God's plan of redemption for mankind. God's plan to restore the relationship that was broken, the relationship between man and God. Let's read Romans chapter number 5, starting in verse number 18, and we'll read down through verse number 21. The Bible says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ 
our Lord. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for each person that is gathered here this morning, that, Lord, they have set aside this day as a day that they are going to worship you, as a day that they are going to pursue you, as a day that they want to learn of you. And, Lord, they have come to your house uh, to listen to your word, to sing the songs of praise, uh, to fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I thank you for each one uh, that is here. I thank you, Lord, for those uh, who are unable to be with us who have Lord have logged on and are watching the live stream. I thank you dear Lord for their faithfulness that although Lord they are unable to attend that Lord they are faithful uh, to listen to your word and Lord to apply it to their life. Now Lord as we look into your word this morning and Father we look at this plan of redemption I pray dear Lord that you will take uh, the truths of your word and Lord that you will encourage us. Uh, uh, Father Lord that you will uh, challenge our hearts uh, and Father if there be someone either here or listening online that has never accepted you as Savior Father Father, I pray that you will take this message and Father, you will reveal to them that Lord, they do not have to spend eternity in hell. That Lord, they do not have to go through this life wondering what's going to have to happen after death. But Lord, that they can accept the gift of salvation that you have made available and Lord, their eternity can be secured. And Father, I pray that you will use your word to convict their hearts and show them their need of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege and this opportunity to be in your house. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now last week when we looked at uh, the problem of sin, we looked at verse number 12 of Romans chapter number 5. And if you look at verse number 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, uh, for that all uh, had sinned. Uh, and then if you look down at verse number 18, which we just read, it says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, referring back to verse number 12. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. When we look at these two verses side by side, in verse 12 we see the problem. But in verse number 18, we see the solution. In verse number 12, we see condemnation. In verse number 18, we see justification. In verse number 12, we see desperation. But in verse number 18, we see a reason for celebration. Uh, this morning, I want to look at the message uh, that we find here in verse number 18, uh, the plan for man's redemption. This morning we're going to be looking at three things concerning the redemption of man as found in verses in verse Romans chapter 5 and verse number 18. Three things that I believe the plan for man's redemption would include. If you look there in verse number 12, you will see that at the end of verse number 12, the beginning of verse number 13, there is a parenthesis. And that parenthesis continues until the end of verse number 17. Now what this parenthesis means is that this passage, verse 13 to 17, is further explaining what we have been told in verse number 12. But if we were just to read the passage, uh, we could get the context of the passage by reading verse number 12 uh, and then verse number 18. And by looking at these two verses side by side, uh, we can see the contrast uh, of here is man's problem, uh, but here is what God is going to do about it. Uh, and in verse number 18, there are three things uh, that I believe God's plan of redemption includes. Now there is so much more that we could look at about redemption, but we just want to look at these three things that God has provided in his plan for redemption. The first thing we see in verse number 18 is a spotless lamb. 
a spotless lamb. It says in verse number 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Catch this next phrase. Even so, by the righteousness of one. We see here a spotless lamb. In the book of Genesis, we find that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, an innocent animal had to die to provide their covering. God slew an animal to make coats of skins to cover Adam and Eve. From the very beginning, we were taught that innocent blood must be shed to provide a covering. They had sinned against God and an animal had to be shed. Innocent blood had to be shed to provide that covering. In Exodus chapter number 12, uh, the children of Israel were getting ready to leave the land of Egypt. Uh, uh, God had brought the plagues. Uh, God had brought Pharaoh to a place that he was uh, going to let the children of Israel go. Uh, and God said, before you go, uh, I want you to take a lamb without spot and without blemish, uh, a lamb that is clean and that is pure. Uh, and I want you to slay the lamb. Uh, and I want you to take the blood of that lamb. Uh, and I want you to put it uh, over the doorpost uh, of your house. Uh, he said, whenever I come through, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. We see here that the children of Israel were spared the plague that God was bringing upon Pharaoh through the blood of an innocent lamb. We see in the book of Leviticus that God required animal sacrifices to provide a temporary covering for sin in order for man to get a temporary covering for his sin. He was to bring an animal to the priest. And the book of Leviticus is full of all the offerings uh, that man could do uh, and they would bring this animal, this spotless animal uh, to the priest and the priest would slay the animal and the blood would be shed uh, and it would provide a temporary covering uh, for the sins of man uh, and all through history from the first sin uh, that Adam committed in the garden uh, all through history uh, there was a picture being painted, uh, there was a type being set in place uh, that told us uh, that the way you receive uh, redemption uh, is by the shedding of uh, of innocent, spotless blood. This picture had been painted throughout the entire Old Testament that there was a need for a spotless, sinless lamb. In Hebrews chapter number 7, verse 26 and 27, we see that this spotless lamb came and was offered up for the sins of all mankind. In Hebrews 7, verse number 26, the Bible says, for such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. There's his qualification. Here's what he did. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For years and years and years the priest had filled that office uh, and people would come uh, and they would want to make sacrifice for their sin uh, and the priest would have to make a sacrifice uh, for his own sin uh, so that he was covered so that he could then uh, perform the sacrifice for them and he would perform their sacrifice uh, and daily, uh, every day he was
was performing sacrifices uh, to provide a temporary covering, uh, but we no longer need that uh, because we see that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, needeth not daily uh, to offer up sacrifices because this he did once uh, when he offered up himself. It said in verse number 26 that he was holy, uh, he was harmless, uh, he was undefiled, uh, he was separate uh, from sinners, uh, he was qualified to make the sacrifice, uh, he was qualified to be the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice for our sin. In this plan of redemption for mankind, there needed to be a sacrifice. The wages of sin is death. Man had sinned. And for years, uh, innocent animals died to make temporary atonement uh, for the sins of man. Uh, but then the Lord Jesus Christ uh, gave himself uh, a spotless lamb to provide that way of salvation. Second Corinthians 5 and verse number 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of of God in Him. Our sin had separated us from God. But He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, He took our place so that the relationship could be restored. In order for man to be able to have a relationship with God, there needed to be a death, there needed to be a payment, and God provided that payment that our relationship might be restored. But whenever I look at the plan of redemption, not only do I see the need for and the provision of a spotless lamb, but I also see that included in this plan for man's redemption is a superior salvation. A superior Salvation In Hebrews 7 and verse number 19, the Bible says, For the law made nothing perfect. The people would bring the lamb. The priest would cut the lamb. He would shed the blood. Sin was temporarily covered. But the law made nothing perfect. The sin was not washed away. The guilt was not taken away. The problem that man had was still there. It was a temporary solution. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. Boy, I'm telling you what, if that don't get you excited. Now, I know that me within myself, I am not perfect. I know that me within myself, I have plenty of flaws. I have plenty of places that need worked on. I have plenty of places that need improved as you do as well. We are not perfect in that state, but in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the eyes of the Father, we have been made perfect. When the Father looks at me to see if there is anything in me whereby he can accuse me and thereby render judgment upon me for my sin, he cannot see me, but instead he sees the sinless, spotless, perfect Lord Jesus Christ. And although the law could make nothing perfect, the bringing in of a better hope, the Lord Jesus Christ did make me perfect in the eyes of my Father. It's a superior salvation. What is this better hope, this superior salvation? Verse number 18 tells us uh, what this is. It tells us this better hope that has been given to us in Romans 5.18. It says, uh, even so by the righteousness of one 
the free gift came upon all men. I see three things in this phrase that promise a great redemption plan. First of all, I see this better salvation includes a better price, far better than what I was selling pillows for a little bit ago. He said there in verse number 18, the free gift. You see, the, the law required that I select out of my flock a little lamb. And the law required that I would take this lamb over here and I would put it in a pen by itself and I would give it special care and I would brush it. I would make sure there was no briars and no burrs. I would make sure there were no cuts and no blemishes. And I would take care of that lamb and watch over that lamb and make sure that that lamb was kept spotless so that when the time came that I could offer that lamb, I would pick up this lamb that I had worked and that I had cared for and I would bring it and I would give it to the priest and the priest would cut its throat and thereby I could get a temporary covering. But whenever we come to the better salvation, the superior salvation, it was completely free. I didn't have to raise the lamb. I didn't have to keep the lamb spotless. No, he did that for himself. I see the price. What is the price? It is free. But not only do I see the price of this great redemption plan, but I also see the provision, it says, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift. The provision. What is a gift? A gift is something that is provided by another. Now our world is full of misuse of the word free. Entirely full of it. Melissa came across something the other day. I don't remember what it was, but she said thought it would just suit Joel perfectly. And she thought, boy, I'll get this for Joel. And it said that it was free. And so she thought, well, I'll, I'll just get this for Joel. It's for free. And so she goes to get it, and they want like $10 to ship it to her. It's free as long as you pay the shipping. And you'll see this all the time. You'll get yourself a free coupon uh, for Burger King. And you'll go to Burger King to get your free Whopper. And they'll say, oh, that's only free if you buy a Whopper. Well, if I buy a Whopper, I don't need two Whoppers. What am I going to do with the other Whopper? I mean, and, uh, this won't even make sense. And all the time you see things, uh, it'll say free, free, free. And you go to cash in on the free. But there's always something required of you. It's free if. It's free when. It's free... There's always a requirement. But whenever we look right here at this provision, we see that it was entirely free. It was provided by another. In this redemption plan, the provision was made by another. The conditions were met by another. The payment was made by someone else. The only thing separating us from this redemption is our willingness to receive it. You know, whenever you come home and you've been out and you come home and you got little children and you walk up to your little child and you have your hand behind your back and you say, I got you something. If you're a good parent... I have to throw that in there these days. If you're a good parent, a little kid is just going to expectantly stick their hand out. They don't know if you got them a lollipop or a Hershey bar or a chocolate milk. They don't know what you got them, but they know you got something good, and they just hold their hand out, and you lay it in their hand. All that is separating them from the gift is their willingness to receive it. Now, when I was... 
young fella. My dad, he wanted to make sure that I was tough, you know, and wanted to toughen me up as a young man. And every now and again, he'd pull a slick one on me. Remember one time he got out a box of cocoa, straight cocoa, like cooking cocoa. He reached in there with a spoon and got him a big spoonful. He said, you ever had any cocoa? I said, mm-hmm. He says, like chocolate milk, get you a spoonful. I got a spoon and got me a spoonful. He said, go ahead and try that. And he's still holding his hand right here, you know. He still he ain't put his in his mouth. He's like, go ahead and try that. So I get me a big old spoonful. I mean, I look at how big a spoonful Dad's got, so I match up, you know, get me a big old spoonful. <laughs> Cocoa's not like chocolate milk. Let me tell you, it's not the same thing. You don't eat it by the spoonful. And every now and again, Dad pulls slick one like that on me. Well, it didn't take me long. I, just a couple of times he did that, and Dad say, hey, you ever try any of this? I'm, mm -hmm, I ain't going to either. Nope, I ain't trying that. No, we're not going there. I, I wasn't getting it because I wasn't willing to receive it. But you know what? There was a lot of times whenever he'd say, hey, got you something. Matter of fact, I went up to see my dad just the other day and had, had to go up there for something. And He said, I'm, I'm going to be right back. I'm going to go back to the bedroom. He went back to the bedroom. A little bitty comes walking out, and he's carrying a two forty three hunting rifle. And he said, do you have a two forty three?" I said, I did, but I sold it several years ago. He's like, would you like to have another one? I'm like, yeah. He said, here, it's yours. You know what? I didn't hold back like I used to with the cocoa. <laughs> I said, give it here, give it here, lay it right here in my hands. I, I'll take that. Uh, you see, the oil, there was nothing required of me. I, I didn't have to do anything. Some people try to take and, and mess with salvation and say that it is a works because we have to receive it. No, there was no work involved when I said, I'll take it. Uh, I'm happy to have it. Uh, we see that in this superior salvation uh, that it is completely free uh, and the only thing separating people from the benefit of this redemption plan is their willingness to receive it. We see that there is a, a superior salvation, but then we see that there is the price, there is the provision, but then we also see in this superior salvation the availability. The availability. It says there in verse number 18, the free gift came upon all men. Now this is explained away by so many people in so many ways. But I believe the Bible very clearly teaches that he died for all men. All men do not receive him, but that is on them, not on God. There are those uh, who may choose uh, to reject him, but that is on them, not on God. And those who try to teach uh, that God only does, uh, died for select people, uh, they I don't care if they call themselves hyper-Calvinist or Calvinist or, or what do they want to call themselves, uh, if they say that God only died for select people, uh, the reverse side of that says uh, that God intentionally sends people to hell. And I do not find that anywhere in that book from Calvinist to cover. It says that God died for all men. If you are a living, breathing human being, salvation is available for you. He died for all men. It is available to all. 
So we see that this plan of salvation needed a spotless lamb. This plan of salvation uh, included a superior uh, sacrifice. Uh, but then we see, last of all, that this redemption plan has promised a solidified eternity. Look there again in verse number 18. Even so, by the righteousness of one, there's your spotless lamb. The free gift came upon all men, there's your superior salvation. And then it says, unto justification of life. Here is our solidified eternity. The Thayer Greek Dictionary describes the word justification in this way. The act of God declaring men free from guilt and acceptable to Him. When I am saved... I am immediately justified. Now, I've probably still got all kind of sin in my life. I still have a lot of things that I have to work out and figure out. Uh, I have a lot of growing to do, but I am instantly justified. That means I am instantly declared righteous before God. If I were to accept Christ as my Savior and die and go into eternity ten minutes later, I would go into eternity as a righteous man because I have been declared just not based upon who I am or what I have or have not done, but I am declared just based upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am just You say, well, how does this exactly apply to eternity? Well, I'll tell you how it applies. It tells me that my eternity is secured because God has declared me just. There are people who go through life wondering if they've been good enough to get to heaven. They go through life thinking that when they get to heaven, God's going to put their good deeds on one side and their bad deeds on the other, and we're going to weigh on the scale and determine whether or not they can go to heaven. None of that is true. What is true? is that my eternity is secured based on the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever I look through the pages of the Word of God, I find that there is nothing in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that would keep me out of heaven. He is perfect. He is pure. He is holy. He is what heaven consists of. He is what its residents are required to be. And I am coming in on His ticket. My eternity is secure forever. Once I've accepted Christ as my Savior, I never, ever again have to worry about whether or not I'll spend eternity in heaven because it is secure through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you think about that and turn to John 14, verse 1 through 3, they all of a sudden have a pretty ring to them. Let not... Your heart be troubled. <laughs> you ever heard people talk about not being able to sleep at night because they didn't know if they was going to die in the night? <laughs> I remember when I was nine years old, I had that happen. I was tossing and turning. I was scared to death I was going to die that night. I don't know why. As far as I know, I was healthy and everything was good, but I was scared to death I was going to die that night. And I finally climbed out of the bed and went and found my dad and said, Dad, I'm scared to death I'm going to die tonight. He took the Word of God and he showed me how I could know for sure that I had a home in heaven. And I prayed that night and I accepted the Lord as my Savior. 
And you know what? Now when I lay down on my head on my pillow at night, I may not sleep because I'm worried about uh, whether or not my sermon's going to be good for tomorrow. Or am I, am I not asleep because I'm wondering uh, if what that is I hear running out there in the living room and I'm too worried, uh, too lazy to get up and go check it. Something like that might steal my sleep. But never again have I lost sleep because I was afraid that I was going to die. Because let not your heart be troubled. If you're not here, you with me. Let not your heart be troubled. When you leave this world, you're going to a better place. Let not your heart be troubled. Heaven is my home. It's where I'm headed. And if I check out now, or if I check out 20 years from now, if I check out 50 years from now, it doesn't matter when I check out. My heart's not worried. I'm not concerned. My eternity is secure, and I will forever live with the Lord. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse number 18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, I'm telling you what, my eternity is secure. God put together a redemption plan. Man had a sin problem. Man still has a sin problem. And until man realizes that there is nothing, nothing you can do to fix the broken relationship, you are destined for an eternal punishment in a place called hell. But whenever you realize there is nothing that I can do to fix this broken relationship. I can't do enough good deeds. I can't give enough to the church. I can't be nice enough to other people. There is nothing that I can do. Nothing. Then you will turn from yourself and you will turn to the Savior and said, I know you have a sin problem. And because I love you, I have provided a way of salvation. And you will say, Lord, I believe. And at that moment, you will be justified. You will be declared righteous. And he will begin a work of sanctification in you and he will begin a work of cleansing you and restoring you so that you become a person who can have the relationship with God that he created you for. A secure eternity. When I look at this plan of redemption, I see that God has provided everything we need so that we can miss the awaited judgment for those that don't repent of their sin. He provided the spotless lamb. He provided the superior salvation and the solidified eternity. When I think of our redemption, I'm reminded that we are, we are promised an individual redemption. Me physically, me personally. Job 19, 25 and 26, Job said, For I know 
that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. There's an individual redemption promise, but we see that there's an earthly redemption promise in 2 Peter 3.13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. But then we've also been promised an eternal redemption. In Titus 2.13, the Bible says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But this morning... If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, redemption is not promised to you, but rather corruption. There are those who say, how, how could a good God send people into hell? He's not. You are. He has made a way for you to escape the eternal punishment. He has provided a route around what is going to be the end of those who don't repent. He has made a way of salvation. You say, how could a good God send people into hell? I don't believe a good God could do that. I believe we'll all go to heaven when we die. No, you will not unless you accept him. It's not he that sent you there. It's you that sent you there. The Bible says in Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Romans 3, 20, 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But, here's the provision he made, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning, we can't reach heaven on our own. We cannot do enough good to merit an eternal home, but we can put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know those of you that are here this morning that have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your heart rejoices that it doesn't depend on me. But there are still many who are trying to make it on their own. Let me tell you, you can't get there on your own. But he's made a way of salvation. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Miss Debbie's going to come to the piano and she's going to begin to play. If the Lord spoke to your heart this morning, I ask you to come. If you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to come and let somebody take the Word of God and show you how you can know for sure that your eternity is secured. How you can receive the gift that God is offering as Miss Debbie plays, if the Lord spoke to your heart, you come.
Thank you much for being here this morning. I tell you what, if you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, take advantage of the gift that He is offering to you. Next week we'll be continuing this series. Next week's Palm Sunday, and we're going to be looking at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking in detail at the Lamb that was provided to take away the sin of the world. Do your best to be here next Sunday. I know you'll enjoy that message. Do your best to be here tonight. We have another service, 6 o'clock. A lot of times on Sunday nights, uh, of course we do a lot of different things on Sunday nights, but when I get the opportunity to preach, uh, I like to answer Bible questions. And tonight we're going to be looking at John chapter number 3, verse number 5. And the verse says, The Lord was speaking to Nicodemus, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of confusion about what Jesus meant when he said being born of the water. And so we're going to take a little bit tonight and look at that passage of Scripture and what Jesus meant when he said to be born of the water and the Spirit. So I encourage you to come. Uh, be a part of the service tonight, and I know that you will be blessed. Brother Colin, I'm going to ask if you would to pray and dismiss us from the service. Thank you.